Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero. Sports entertainment like no other. It's going to be sick. Brought to you by Essentia. The world's only natural memory foam mattress. Beyond organic sleep. It's the sick podcast. Marinero with you. And the Montreal Canadiens are playing the Toronto Maple Leafs. At the time of this recording, the Canadiens are up by uh, one game to nothing versus Toronto after a 2-1 win on a game-winning goal by Paul Byron in game number one on Thursday night. And joining me right now, someone who knows a thing or two about the Canadians playing the Leafs in the playoffs, even though prior to this year, it hadn't happened since 1979. He was a part of that series, playing well, for the Montreal Canadiens. Cam well, Connor, how you doing? Uh, really good, buddy. Two things I got to say. Number one, that goal, the winning goal last night, wasn't just a goal. It was a shorthanded goal. You're right. Right, that yeah. that's unbelievable. Who, like whoever was in the penalty box for the Canadians when he saw that shorthanded goal, he jumped up because that took a lot of pressure off him. Thomas Tatar. Oh yeah, that's right. So you know, because when you're in the box, the game's on the line. You're playing a team like Toronto Maple Leafs, and look at the firepower they have. Like they got some boys that could score those goals. You're shorthanded. Only a couple minutes left in the game. You're, you're sweating that they're going to score. You don't want them to score. And you get a shorthanded goal, which was a game winner. Excellent. Cam, we're going to get back to the Canadians and the Leafs this year, 2021 edition. But I, I'd love to talk to you about your career. Uh, you were drafted by the Montreal Canadiens, first round, fifth overall in the 1974 NHL amateur draft. But that Canadiens team of the 70s was stocked. They were absolutely loaded. It wasn't an easy lineup to get into, was it? Well, it wasn't. Uh, but that, re- you know, like I didn't take that into consideration. You know, should I go to the World Hockey Association? Should I go to Montreal? I never followed hockey. In fact, all my buddies and relatives who probably followed hockey a lot closer than I did, they said it's such an honor to be drafted number one by Montreal. How could you not go there? Yeah. And the way I thought about it was, you know, I realized that if I went to Montreal, I'd be a household name. Like, I knew that, okay? But at 19 years old, I said to myself, you know what? World hockey has offered me a hell of a lot more money than Montreal did. 
And uh, I think I'll take the money even if nobody knows who I am. So that's the only reason that I decided to to go to the World Hockey instead of uh, Montreal Canadiens, which in hindsight yeah, was the biggest mistake I ever made. So, you know, you were talking about, of course, the Phoenix Roadrunners for a couple of seasons and the Houston Arrows before you ended up joining the Canadians in 78, 79. If you don't mind me asking, how much money are we talking back then? Um, Well, the Montreal Canadians offered me a three-year one-way contract. And they offered me $150,000 to sign my contract, which, you know, if you prorate it to today's dollar, that's you know, it's probably near a million dollars. And uh, so they offered me 150,000 to sign. Phoenix Roadrunners offered me 200,000 to sign. Wow. Montreal Canadians offered me a three-year deal. And if I remember correctly, it started at 60, then 70 or 80, or, or it was 70, 80, 90, something like that. I think it was 70, 80, 90. Okay. And uh, Phoenix offered me Five-year deal, starting at 90, then 100, 100 and a quarter, 145, 150, something like that. Plus, they paid my lawyer's fees for five years. So it was, you know, it was substantially different, uh, like a big difference. And and so when my agent told me, here's Montreal's offer and here's Phoenix, I just said, well, is that their final offer? He said, yep, that's it. So. I know that Scotty Bowman, when um, he found out that I was going to the World Hockey, mm-hmm. um, you know, he tried to convince me that they'll give me more money. And uh, but I gave him, I gave Phoenix, I didn't sign anything. And Scotty asked me if I signed anything. I said I didn't. So he said, "Well, we'll stay on the phone. I'll go get you another two hundred thousand, and." At, at age 19, I'm still proud of myself because I had people in the business world, honestly, when I was in the computer consulting business, um, lying to me for an extra dollar an hour, lying to me for a dollar an hour. Wow. And at 19, I told Scotty, I said, Scotty, I, I can't sign with you. And he said, well, you said you didn't sign. I said, yes, but I gave Phoenix my word. And uh, as it turned out, I got screwed out of a lot of lot of money, but I'm still proud that I kept my word. Good for you. It's the Sick Podcast. I'm Marinero, and the show is brought to you by Essentia, the world's only natural memory foam mattress. Go to myessentia.com slash sickpod and see why Essentia is the mattress of choice for many athletes, including over 25% of professional hockey players. Use code SICKPOD. For a free pillow with your uh, purchase, Essentia Beyond Organic Sleep. At one point, you finally make your way to the Montreal Canadiens. Cam, we talked about that 78-79 season with the Montreal Canadiens where you got in 23 games in the regular season on a team that included the likes of Lafleur, Shutt, Robinson, Lemaire, Lapointe, Savard. I mean, the list goes on and on. So many points. Gini. You're right about you you can't forget him. What um how difficult was it for you to make your way onto that team, or was it easy knowing that you were gonna be a member of the supporting cast? 
you know, again, um, I, I was, I, when I went to Montreal, they signed me to a five-year contract, one-way money. And it never occurred to me that I would be sent to the farm team. I, I just, it just didn't enter my mind. Yes, I knew they were a powerful team. And they had won the Stanley Cup three years in a row. And so going there, um, the, like they only lost a guy named Murray Wilson from the year yeah. before. They said they only lost one player, but they added Mark Napier, Rod Langway, Pat Hughes, and myself. And there's only one open position for a team that won the Stanley Cup in you know three years in a row. So I knew that the players he added, uh, plus the players that they had, were were really good hockey players. So I didn't want to. I mean, you want to get in the lineup right away. You want to earn your stripes. But it wasn't to be. Um, Scotty had other plans for myself. And I got to be honest with myself. Um, I, I, I was a little intimidated by Scotty and how negative he was, especially to me. Um, and so I just never played the kind of hockey I was capable of. And, and, and what I'd shown from junior on is, you know, I'd go after the puck, any part of the ice, my side, the other side, corners, take the body. When you take the body, you get into fights. And that's how I play my best hockey. But I didn't do that when I got to Montreal. When I got in the lineup, you know, Bowman said, your defenseman better not score any goals and your winger better not. So I just played my wing. I didn't go off my wing. And I wasn't noticed out there at all. I did nothing to promote myself uh, to play the way I did. I was too busy thinking that I, I couldn't make mistakes instead of going out there and playing the game of hockey. So as good a career Scotty Bowman had, as a head coach in the National Hockey League that went on for decades and decades and decades in Stanley Cups, he wasn't necessarily the best coach for you in that moment. Is that accurate? I would say that's accurate. Uh, again, you know what? There's some people, like we'll say, do you remember Pierre LaRouche? Of course, 50-goal scorer. That's it. So he came to Montreal. He'd been in the NHL for a while. He could score goals, Pierre. And with you know, Pierre, if he wasn't working hard in practice, at least, you know, the, the coaches perceived he wasn't working hard, they'd start yelling at him and give him scowly looks. And, and Pierre, it didn't hurt his confidence one little bit. He'd pick it up, and it didn't bother him one little bit. And I'm just the opposite. You know what? If if I, Like, I'll try my best every time. And if you're getting on my case and you think that I'm going to play better through negative reinforcement, that's just not me. Um, I, I, I tried my best, but yeah. the coaches that would pat me on the back and I would grow. And I think most people respond to positive reinforcement over negative reinforcement. And Scotty had not even one time, you know, he'd walk by hallways in, you know, when we we're on the road in a hotel and I'd say hello to him. He'd just look at the ceiling and walk right by me. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't think this guy likes me at all. And so I'm not, you know, you can't, when you coach a team, you can't treat every 20, 22 players exactly the same way. You have to figure out which guys you have to pull, pull which guys you have to push. And you got to know what works for individuals. And so for me, I'm the type of guy that 
you know what, like Herb Brooks, when I played with Herb Brooks, he went to school to learn how to motivate, how to talk to people, his his tone of his voice, mm-hmm. when to when mm-hmm. to pause when he talks. So when he get up and he start talking to us, I was just couldn't wait to get on that ice. He had me so pumped up. And you know, there's a lot of coaches that I've read where they say these guys make a lot of money. They shouldn't have to be motivated and pumped up. They should come to the rink pumped up every day. Well, I say when you play 82, 84 games plus exhibition games, I think the year we won the cup, we played 116 games. That's like every three or four times a week. Wow. And and you need some help. You you know, you just need a coach that can motivate you and to, to bring the best out of you by getting your mind even more focused. And so these coaches that say, well, it's not up to me to motivate them. They're highly paid, well, whatever. But I think those people that are saying that, they can't motivate. That's not who they are. They can do X's and O's, but they don't know how to talk to people other than, you know, and Scotty, you're right. I mean, he did, on paper, he won a lot of Stanley Cups. And uh, you might have guys that played for him for six, seven, eight years that maybe don't agree with what I said. But based on how, what I know, how I'm motivated and how I was treated as an individual you know, this is my viewpoint um, from Cam Connor. He is Cam Connor uh, today, age 66, and he co-hosts a podcast called View from the Penalty Box podcast with your son, Christopher. That's pretty cool, huh? I guess you get to recount some of these stories. Well, thank you for mentioning that. I really, the reason I do my podcast and I tell my stories, it's it's kind of interesting. I seem to remember so many stories. Um, my buddy, I don't know if you've heard of Roddy Piper. Of course. Okay, that's my best I know, friend. I know you right? grew up with him. That's my best friend. Wow. And he'd say, because I helped him, you know, put, recall some memories in our childhood that went into his book. I was just on his last two-hour A&E special and uh, just telling some stories. It just seems like I can remember a lot of these stories growing up. And so, you know, with my son, he said, Dad, let's do a podcast. And I said, well, I don't care if I tell my stories, but he kind of convinced me that I should. And from my side, I'm not making any money. It costs me money actually to to do these podcasts, but I do it for selfish reasons because you know what? It's brought me closer to my son. And there's a lot of things that we've discussed that he didn't know about me. And uh, I, I think that's the reason I do my podcasts. Good for you. That's so beautiful to hear. Speaking of Roddy Piper, arguably the greatest heel in the history of professional wrestling. Um, I know you said he was your best friend. You grew up together, right? Where did you guys grow up together? We grew up in Winnipeg. And um, we started, we met each other, well, in grade 10. Yeah. Our, Our lockers were right next to each other, like right next to each other. But we didn't talk to each other. We just got our books out and went our own ways. And then I've told this story before, but it's true. Then, you know, later on, you know, in grade 10, there was a knock at my back door. And there was a couple guys that were my friends. And they brought Rod over. And Rod's real name is Rod Toombs. And they brought him over. And they're just standing at my back door. And the one guy says, Cam, you're a pretty tough guy. And this new guy, Rod, he's pretty tough. Why don't you have a fight? I said, okay. 
So we, Rod and I went into my garage, just the two of us, and closed the door, and we scrapped. And um, I could tell that Rod knew what he was doing because, you know, he boxed when he was growing up in Toronto. And every time he threw a punch, he'd make a noise. <clears throat> and that, that Even the noise scared me a bit. And uh, anyways, I've got uh, – I went. To, I had to knock him out. I knew that I wasn't going to beat him, so I threw my left. My hands were pretty fast. He got out of the way, and I tore my tricep. Uh, it's, all the muscles snapped like a rubber band, and I ended up having to get it operated on. And then he drilled me, and I had a 650 Triumph motorcycle in my garage, just like the movies. He hit me, and I went back, and I flipped over my motorcycle. And uh, from that day forward, the pecking order was uh, in order. Oh, really? What a story that is. Wow. He is Cam Connor, former NHLer who grew up with uh, the great Rowdy Roddy Piper. And uh, they had a scrap back in grade 10. Isn't that something? This is the Sick Podcast. Go to sportbuffshop.com for all of your officially licensed sports apparel and more. Use code SICK15 for 15% off on all of their items. All right. Back to hockey if we can. But, man, that's a great story. I'd love to hear more Roddy Piper stories one day. Uh, too bad he's no longer with us, right? He just he went way yeah. too young, didn't he? Oh, for sure. But, I mean, he took me out when I lived in New York, played with the Rangers. He'd come into town and – I lived right on the New York Connecticut border, which is where the W they're called WWF back in the day. Yeah. Their headquarters was probably three minute car ride from my house. So Rod would come and he'd say, well, let's go for some beer. We'd be out with Andre, the giant. Wow. We'd be out with the Hart brothers, cowboy, Bob Orton, and a whole bunch of other guys. And, you know, I have a lot of stories to tell. I didn't say a word. You go with those wrestlers. What a life they lead. Like, I'd never be a wrestler. Never. No matter. Rod made millions. I'd never do it, no matter what. Like, what a life these guys lead. It was amazing going out with them. But yeah. So that night you went out with them. Yeah. Can you remember how much Andre the Giant drank and how much he ate? Well, I can tell you. Well, Rod told me how much he ate. And, I mean, I, I, I think it was like every time he sat down, it was at least a dozen eggs, right, for breakfast. At least a dozen eggs. Wow. But I remember I sat at the bar beside Andre one night. And, um, you know, I don't have to tell you how big that man was. Like, his head was two to three times as big as anybody's head. And I remember he had a tall glass that he was drinking from. Like, it was like a tall one. Yeah. and. He put his hands around it. You couldn't even see the glass. Like it, his hands, each finger was the size of a big dill pickle. Wow. Like he was massive. And um, it, it was just interesting just to, to be in his life for, you know, that little bit I did because I've never seen a man his size. And uh, it was just interesting listening to him. Aaron Arrow for Excellent Photo, locally family-owned store uh, on Park Avenue in Montreal. And uh, it's centrally located, of course, close to downtown Shopping University's professional staff at the store and online to help you choose that gear that you really need. So I'll tell you what else was massive was you got your shot in the playoffs for the Canadians versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. And at one point, you scored a huge goal in that series almost like the way Paul Byron scored one in game one. Can you paint a picture of that game, that moment, that goal? Talk to me about it. I certainly will. You know, 
it's not really a complicated story. You know, it was the, in the fifth period, so it was two overtimes. And uh, I didn't play the first two games of the playoffs in Montreal against Toronto. I didn't expect to dress because Scotty just doesn't dress me very much. I just wasn't even anticipating. But I found out years later that Kenny Dryden went and talked to Scotty Bowman after the second game. Oh, really? Excuse me. Yeah, in Montreal. And he said, Toronto Maple Leafs, they're a grinding, bumping, get-in-your-face kind of team. And um, that's the kind of game Cam plays. And, you know, Tiger Williams and a few of those guys, I played junior against them. And, you know, Tiger's a big bluffer. You ever watch any of his highlights, he'll make sure he gets the first punch in. And if it's a fair fight, he just grabs you. He puts his arms behind and he just wraps around your neck. And it's not even a fight, but that's how he was. And so he knew, you know, that I could clean his clock. He knew that. And I knew that. Hold on a second here. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Are you calling Tiger Woods a phony? Tiger Tiger, Tiger Tiger Williams a phony? Uh, I'm pleading the fifth. Good one. Good one. All right. So Ken Dryden talks to, to Scotty Bowman about you. Wow. Isn't that amazing? What an amazing teammate. Was he the only one that did that? Or well, did others go to bat for you? Well, you know what? Again, I didn't know anything was going on. You hear years later, nobody comes up and said, okay, I talked to Scotty. You know, it, it kind of squeaks out. So, you know, they dressed me for the, the game in Toronto. Because usually it's rougher in the other team's rink than on the road. Yeah. Usually. Unless you play Boston Bruins, right? From back in the day or Philadelphia Flyers. And so, you know, okay, they told me I'm in the lineup. I'm excited. I'm thinking I'm going to get my shot. I didn't play one shift the first, second, third, first overtime. The the second overtime. Hold, hold on a second here if we can. With Cam Connor, who was part of that 1979 Montreal Canadiens Stanley Cup team. You dressed for game three versus Toronto and you didn't play not one second through the first three periods nor one second in the first overtime period. I don't think that's ever happened again in the history of hockey. So that's, you know, and really when you're on the bench for that long, like I tried to keep my legs loose in case I got a chance. So maybe if there was a commercial, I'd jump on the ice and skate for a second or two and jump back off. And then when the period was over, I'd jump over and I'd skate around the ice a couple of times and just to try to keep the legs loose. And I did this every chance I got. And so now we're in the, you know, this double overtime. And what had happened was the Leafs, they went with four lines all game. Montreal Canadiens went with three lines all game. Wow. And so, you know what? Those guys are in terrific shape. Those three lines got the most ice time, so they're in game shape. But when you start going into the first overtime, and that rink was hot, and I was told, and I don't know if it's accurate, that much that the Toronto Maple Leafs turned the ice plant down. Because, you know, if they make it a little softer, it doesn't really affect the Toronto Maple Leaf team because they're just a bunch of grinders anyways. But yeah. the high-flying, skating Montreal Canadiens, it slowed them down, and it's hard work. And so our team was – you could tell that they were starting to get tired in the first overtime. Now we're into the second overtime, 
And the guys are getting tired. Like they're playing against a fresher team. And I saw Bowman looking up and down the bench and I'm thinking, I didn't know if I wanted to go out because your legs are like concrete. Yeah. And so he said, Connor, get on the ice. Don't overhandle the puck and whatever else. And so I'm laughing to myself. And so um, when you play with the Montreal Canadiens, you're taught that, you know, when your team has the puck, what to do. And as soon we reverse that, when the other team has the puck, you know what to do. But as soon as there's a turnover in Montreal, we have the puck, you just turn on a dime immediately and you start heading back the other way towards their end. So there was Serge Savard. I think he intercepted a puck, you know, in the center ice, more closer to our blue line. And as soon as he did that, I quickly turned, Riseworld quickly turned, and uh, Savard, I believe it was, forwarded to Riseborough. I'm a little bit ahead of Riseborough hitting that blue line. And uh, there's no defenseman in front of me from Toronto. He got caught up there. There was a defenseman who's a pretty tough boy named Dave Hutchison on the other wing, more yeah. in front of in front of Riseborough. And in Montreal, you're taught to keep your stick on the ice when you want to pass. So I had my stick on the ice, and Riseborough put it right on the tape. And uh, I'm on my backhand. And because I had watched for five periods, Paul Mateer, the goalie, and yeah. if you remember him, he is a petite goalie. He's not a big guy at all. No. He's not a big goalie. So when you're not big, you got to rely on angles and quickness. So watching him, I said to myself, you know, like every time somebody would hit the top of the circle and they were going to say, take a slap shot, they put their head down, look at the puck, and they take a shot. And, and, and right then, Palmetier would come charge. As soon as you put your head down, he'd come charging out of the net to cut the angle and most of the time, you'd put it right into his pads. Yeah. So he did this consistently for five periods. And I told myself, if I get my chance, I know, you know he's going to come out if I put my head down to shoot. So if I get my chance, I'll just fake the shot and go around him because he'll be way out of his net. And in theory, wow. I should have an open net. So I got it on my backhand. I'm coming in. And I'm, I can see Hutchison. And I'm saying to myself, I got to cut a little bit more towards his side if I want to go from my backhand to my forehand. And I probably was concentrating a little bit on the cross check to my head I was going to get because I didn't wear a helmet. Um, and so I thought he was going to take me out. As it turned out, I went from my backhand. Sure enough, Paul Mateer comes out. And then I started to go to my forehand. And uh, Paul Mateer realized that I was moving. So he opened his legs. He took his stick off the ice. And I've never lied about this. I tried to go from my backhand to my forehand, but in between, I lost the puck, and it went in through his legs. And, uh, you know, the guys – and I didn't see that replay probably for 25, 30 years. I never – I didn't know. Yeah. And so when it was over, I do remember that the guys were so happy for me, like – I went through a lot that year, and I never complained once. I had chances when the newspapers say to me, you should be playing in Montreal. Why aren't you? Or how come you're not? I didn't say a word. I just said, I'll get my chance. I'll get, I never caused any trouble, and I never cried on anybody's shoulders. I just accepted it, and I think the guys appreciated that I wasn't whining about it. I just did my best every practice. Wow. 
Good and, for you. And, anyway, so they were happy for me. That's where I'm going with this. What a huge goal. You score the game winner in overtime in game three. Larry Robinson scores the game winner in game four. You eliminate the Toronto Maple Leafs. You guys go on to win the Stanley Cup that year. But there's a story about your name on the cup. Yeah, and there, that's another one. I didn't know anything about this for 20 years. I, I had no idea that, you know, the NH, the, 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 the National Hockey League, uh, man, whoever, I don't know, like the Batman, the equivalent of, you know, they were saying, no, the rule is that if you don't play a certain minimum game amount of games during the season, yeah, and you don't play the last series, which was against the New York Rangers, then you're not entitled to have your name on the cup. I didn't know this. And so I found out years later that wow. it wasn't only me, it was Yvonne Cornway as well. So because Yvonne at the start of the season, he had back surgery and he was out all year round. Like, but he'd be in the dressing room and I'll never forget how hard he was working to try to, you know, get better from his back surgery. Oh, it was something else. So you know, he was on the road all the time. I went on all the road trips, every practice, uh, all the team functions. I never got sent to the farm team. So uh-huh. I just thought I'd automatically be on there. And so, like I said, many, many years later, I had heard, and I can't remember how I found out that, and I believe the individuals were Ken Dryden, Doug Riseborough, yeah. and Bob Ganey were our player reps. And so when they found out that my name, nor Yvonne Cornelius' name, was going to be on the Stanley Cup, they told the NHL, they said, you know what? If you don't put their two names on the Stanley Cup, they're part of our team. If you don't put their name on the Stanley Cup, you do not have permission to put anybody's name on the Stanley Cup from our wow. team. And so, you know, the NHL, they thought about it. Then they came back and said, well, we'll make an exception. We'll put their names on it. And again, I had no idea. Like, I didn't know that the guys did that for me and Yvonne. And uh, I am for, forever grateful, like forever Wow, amazing. We talked about with uh, Cam Connor, who played for the Montreal Canadiens and the Edmonton Oilers and uh, the New York Rangers for that matter. There, So the, not, not only the Canadians, but we talked about all the great players on that team. But my idol growing up was Guy Lafleur. Give me a Lafleur story, Cam. Well, you know, I've, I've been fortunate, and I'm not trying to name drop. I played with Phil Esposito and all those great Montreal Canadiens. You know, just about everybody on the team is, in my mind, a Hall of Famer. Um, I played with Gretzky. I played with Messier. Like, I played with Gordie Howe. I played with some good hockey players. And they're all, you know, those guys are all humble. Guy is my favorite out of all of them. Like, oh, really? Uh, like, that's the truth. Like, and, and really what, and Gordy Howe is right up there too. What those guys have accomplished, and I, I remember Lafleur. whenever, like anybody on the Montreal Canadian, again, we'll go back to the, to the Boston Bruins. Yeah. They had a tough, tough, tough team. And uh, we were playing them in the playoffs. And I played on teams when it got rough out there. And I would see these guys come back to the bench and they would say to the coach, get Cam out there, get Cam after those guys. And I'm laughing, thinking, you know what? 
you make more money than me by a lot. Like, why don't you do something? Stick up for yourself. But, I mean, I never said anything. Lafleur, he is so humble. And uh, we're, after playing the Bruins, we're in the shower in Montreal Forum. And I look at Lafleur. He had so many red welts on his body wow. and, uh, and and lumps. And I said, what the hell happened to you, Guy? He just matter-of-factly says, oh, the Boston Bruins, they spear me and slash me. You would never know it. He didn't complain a bit. And, when, you know, there's some guys that when they get that kind of attention, physical attention, they slow down a bit. They're not quite as fast to going after that loose puck. They might get hit. Guy never complained once. He was – you just never know what was happening to him. He didn't tell anybody. He just accepted it. He put the pressure on himself every game to play like Guy Lafleur could play. Every game he'd come out and he'd do his best. And uh, I love the man. I used to hang with him a bit because uh, we lived in Beaconsfield area together. Yeah. And um, we would we would travel. And, uh, and the only other thing I'll say about Guy is that because we lived so close together in the spring, I barbecued a chicken. And he came over to my house and I wasn't guarding my chicken. And I went out later to look at it and it was missing. And I couldn't figure out who the took my chicken, right? Because it was in a spit. And so a week or two later, he says, oh, you cook a pretty good chicken. I said, oh. So that's where my chicken went. So. When, was, when was the last time you saw or talked to the flower? Um, that would have been probably in the December of 2003, November, December, when wow. they had the heritage game outside first NHL outdoor game played in Edmonton. And, uh, I was very, very fortunate that, uh, Ray Jaul was the manager. Yeah. And I asked Reggie, I said, you know, I'd like to play that game. I'm in business for myself here in Edmonton and it would help me. And I remember him saying, well, how come you don't play in any of our Canadian games? I said, well, you know, I live quite far away to be playing in your games in Montreal. He goes, well, that's true. So I remember he said, okay, you're playing. And then I remember Jacques Demare was the coach. And I was listening to the night before, and he was saying, I don't agree with everybody that, you know, is put on that hockey team. And so, you know, I knew what he was talking about because there was Brian Scrutland. I believe he was his captain who was living in Calgary and he wanted to play. And so Demers was trying to get Scrutland in over me, but uh, Rajon said, no way we're, we're keeping Cam in the lineup. So that's the last time that I got to, to see and play with Guy. And um, you talked about Wayne Gretzky. You moved on from the Montreal Canadians to the Edmonton orders oh, yeah. with a young Wayne Gretzky, who I think put up a hundred and almost 140 points. 136 tied with Marcel Dion. Wow. Wow. As, a, uh, as his first year in the national league. So you see this kid, his first year in the national hockey league, and he does that. You're thinking what, I mean, what was your relationship with Gretzky? Well, it was good. It was good. Um, you know, if I may just back it up, it was an sure. interesting story. Um, Glenn Sather, I, 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 if I'm not mistaken, it was the expansion draft when the war hockey merged. Uh -huh. um, 
was in Montreal, and uh, I know Glenn from playing against him for four years in the WHA. So he knew what I could do, what I was capable of. And um, he phones me up at home. He said, Cam, we made you our first choice, the first choice in the pick overall. And, you know, you're going to be in Edmonton a long time, buy a house. And so he said, what are you doing right now? I said, I'm just sitting around my house here in Beaconsfield. And he said, you know, we got this player who's sitting in a hotel. He doesn't know anybody. Could you just take him out for a beer or something? I said, oh, absolutely. I said, who am I looking for? He said, well, it's Wayne Gretzky. Now, I didn't know much about Wayne at the time. Okay, I mean, I'd heard he was a good hockey player, and but I didn't really know the kind of numbers that that guy put up. So I said, yeah, okay. So I phone Wayne up and I go pick him up and I take him to a bar in Montreal and we're sitting there and he said, Cam, you know, you played four years in the world hockey. I just played a year in the world hockey. And he said, is there a big difference between the NHL and the WHA in the world hockey? Now, what I didn't realize is when I played for Montreal, yeah, didn't matter if you were the last place team. You know, when you took on Montreal Canadiens, the defending Stanley Cup champ three times over, you played at another level. So every game we played was fast-paced. Every team was looking good to me. I said to, I said to Wayne, I said, Wayne, you know what? There's a big difference between the NHL and the World Hockey. And I told him, I said, so Wayne, and if you look at Wayne, he's pretty skinny, especially at 18 years old. And I was thinking, man, if somebody hits you, you're going to break in two. And so, anyway, so I told him, I said, Wayne, I know you've had a, you know, you've done well over the years, but it's going to take you a couple of years to adjust to this National Hockey League. And he looked at me kind of quizzical, like, what are you talking about? But he didn't say that. And so, you know, what did I know that year? Like I said, he tied Marcel Dion for points at 136 points. Who's the greatest player to ever play the game? You know what I mean? Everybody's known for something different. I mean, if you look at Mario Lemieux, he had the long reach. He could put the puck through your legs four times and go around you, and you didn't know what just happened. And he's by you, and he picked the corner. He could deke you. Wayne Gretzky, he wasn't one of those types of players. But, man, you know, he played the game as if he's sitting in the stands. When I'm watching the game from the stands, I said, man, this game looks so easy from up here, mm-hmm. but at ice level. And Wayne, he 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 play, he had those kind of vision as if he's sitting in the stands. He just finds the open people, and when I watch him in practice, his shot wasn't that hard. But when I see him in a game, he would come down top of the circle, slap shot, it went like a rocket, and you know it's just enough room for a puck to squeak in, and he would squeak it in there like it was amazing. And, you know, I remember looking at the game sheets after the game, and I'd say, wait, you got four points tonight? He said, well, yeah. Like, sometimes you you just didn't notice him, but he just gets his points. And then you get, you know, like a Lafleur who, with his speed and uh, his guts and his getting involved in the game, like, they all bring something different to the game. And so, you know, I, I can't honestly and Bobby Orr, how do you how do you you know yeah. if you, you didn't play against Bobby Orr and you didn't see him in the prime, how do you know how good that guy was? And I Gordy Howe, he was 48 years old when I played with him. And uh Gordy, 
he had wisdom on his side because, you know, he played starting in the 50s. Yeah. And so, you know, he wouldn't skate from A to B to C. He would go right from A to B. You know, whereas me, I'd probably go from A to B to C to D to get the puck. And so he used his head a lot more. And I might just say one interesting thing about Gordie Howe is that when I got drafted by the Canadians in 74, I was six foot one, six foot one and a half, mm-hmm. and about 200, 205. And in the paper, they would say, Montreal drafted the big left winger, Cam Connor, the big left winger. Gordie Howe, at age 48, he told me that at age 16, and he was six foot one, 205 pounds at age wow. 48. He wow. was six foot one, 205 pounds at age 16. And he played in the 50s. So he might have been like the equivalent of Chara back in those days. Uh, right? I hear you. Hey, listen, uh, this is so much fun, but I got two or three more speed questions for you. I'll try yes, and make them go. pretty fast, okay? Yep, yep. In game one between the Canadians and the Leafs, there was an accident, uh, which I think everyone admitted that it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ben Sherratt hits John Tavares, who falls to the ice. Corey Perry's skating back-to-back check, and he's skating pretty fast. Tavares falls right in front of him. He tries to avoid him and kind of – but his knee hits him in the head. Yeah, Clearly, Tavares is concussed, and he's out of its scary scene in Toronto. Gets stretchered off. Everyone's concerned. You can tell that Perry is just rattled by what happened, right? Uh, and he went on to say that he knows Tavares and they played represented Canada on a couple of occasions together. But immediately at the faceoff, Nick Foligno of the Toronto Maple Leafs looks at Perry and says, I know it's an a- it was an accident, but he's our captain. Let's do it now and get it over with. A lot of hockey players understand that mentality, but a lot of hockey fans are saying, I don't get it. Hockey players need to evolve. This doesn't make sense. Do you understand it or you don't? I don't understand it because if Perry, if you look at his stats, how long has he been in the league? 10 years, more maybe? Yeah, he's yeah. Never, Longer he's than never, that. He's, uh, he's, he's 35. So there you go. He broke, never, he, was, he broke into the league at 18. There you go, buddy. He, you look at it. He's not a fighter. He's not a dirty player. His whole career has been pretty consistent. And, um, if it was somebody that, you know, was known to be nasty, it was a Tom Wilson maybe in this day and age, you know, or somebody who's always aggressive and going out of the way to run people, you might wonder whether it was done, you know, on purpose. But with Perry, you look at the replays and they have, you know, they look at iPads right on the bench. Yeah. And you look at that replay, it was a total accident. And so in my mind, I was sitting watching the game with my wife and I dated my wife, Sherilyn, since we were 15 years old. So she has seen many, many rough hockey games over the years. And both of us were upset that Fligno would challenge him. Like, if you went and took on a tough guy that did that on purpose, tried to hurt somebody, 100% justified. That, in my mind, was 100% not justified. That was a cowardly act. I don't care. He might have thought that he had to do it, but I totally disagree. And if I was the coach, I would have told him, 
for me. And I would have told him, don't do anything when you get out there because it was an accident. That's the game of hockey, right? That's the game of hockey. You you play the game. You hope nobody gets hurt. You hope you don't get hurt. But if you do, uh, accidents happen. It's a contact game. Um, it's, it's, he tried to jump out of the way. So, again, I think that was totally not called for. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, listen, I totally agree with you. I think hockey sometimes just needs to evolve. I mean, yes. what are you going to start doing now? Someone's going to hit someone with a slap shot by accident, and you're going to yeah. fight that person too. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's a sick podcast. I'm Marinero. He's former NHLer Cam Connor, and you can place your bets on my bookie. Go to mybookie.ag slash the sick podcast. Use code SICKPICKS for a 50% deposit bonus or use code PICK10 for $10 in free play. Without even depositing, bet, win, get paid. So this is it, Cam Connor. You ready? Who yes, wins sir. between the Canadians and the Leafs? And who goes on to win the Stanley Cup? Okay. Why did you ask me that one? Okay. I want the Canadians to win. I don't think they will. I want them to win, but I don't think they're playing exactly the way they got to play to win. They got to take the man. They got to get involved. They got to keep the score low. You got to have Carey Price stopping that puck, which he did. If they could keep that up against the Maple Leafs and have four wins, whew, I'm impressed. Who do you think wins the cup? Carolina. That's a good pick. Yeah, they're they're really fun to watch. And this was really fun to do. I hope it was as fun for you as it was for me. I know a lot of Montreal Canadiens fans are going to get a kick out of seeing former Montreal Canadian Cam Connor who scored the game-winning goal in double overtime of Game 3 in the 1979 playoffs between the Canadians and the Leafs after being benched for Period 1, Period 2, Period 3, first period of overtime. Did Scotty Bowman, was it personal because you had kept your, you wanted to stay in the WHA? Now that I think about it, you think it was personal or... You know, other people have asked me that question. My wife even asked me that one time. Yeah. And you know what? I'd only be speculating. I have no idea. Scotty never told me. I'll ask so, him one day. Yeah. So I hope. Like I, I, I it was a business decision. It was uh, like I said, I gave my word, and I'm a man of my word. I have my faults, but I'm not a dishonest guy. I have to I have to stick with what I said I would do. Cam Connor. You sound like my kind of guy. I'd love to see you in Montreal one day. You be well and you be safe. Appreciate it, Tony. And I also have enjoyed this very much. Thank you very much. It's the Sick Podcast. You can listen to us on all social media platforms and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at the Sick Podcast. Twitter as well. See you, Cam. Bye, sir. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow The Sick Podcast on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Essentia, the world's only natural memory foam mattress beyond organic sleep.